0: Welcome back everybody, it is Six Pack lapidat joined once again by Paul Marinsen. uh Lucky enough for us, ready left.
1: Yep, it's about time. So it was, uh... Uh,
0: and today we have elite coaches who have worked with some of the biggest names in powerlifting, including the 74 kilo beast, who I honestly believe if I had to pick an IPF world champion who's as sure a lock, there's no more than Taylor Atwood no. off the top of my head. Maybe
1: Ray Williams? I was going to say, the only guy who's maybe more
0: of a lock is Ray Williams. But but Taylor's, like, what he's doing is extremely yes. exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it just it feels like there are times when Taylor's a 74, could podium as an 83. Yeah, he could have took, I think, I believe it was third at Ron Knauss, right? And so that like wasn't even his best day. Yeah. You know, so um, exciting stuff. So it is none other than strength guys. Ben, Jason, um, can you guys maybe give us a little bit of background on strength guys and yourselves? And then uh, we we take it from there. Can can you hear us there, Jason? I think right on cue. (laughs) And I believe. Yeah, yeah, we're (laughs) good. Oh, there we go. Uh, I can't see you guys anymore. Can you see me?
2: Yeah, we can see you. We just we just turned the video off because so, we were getting some lag, so I just want to make sure ah, we get the audio is best. No worries. No worries. Okay.
0: So yeah, if we want, we want to kick it off, it um, doesn't matter me who goes first there, Ben and Jason, but uh, if you just want to tell us a little bit about the Strength Guys, um, how you guys formed and a little bit of your background as well as who you're working with, and then we just take it from there.
3: Yeah, so uh, the Strength Guys is in its seventh year of operation now. Um, we're a corporation that's based out of Calgary, but we have coaches all over, um, all over the world, so in the USA, uh, even in Malaysia, um, and I guess we, we started off as a bodybuilding group, so uh, one of my very first clients ever was a young Jeff Nippert, um, who had just gotten off of winning the Canadian uh, National Bodybuilding Championships, and he wanted to do some powerlifting, and I told Jeff... Uh, powerlifting is not something I've ever done before, but if you trust me and you want to get stronger, uh, we could do this. So uh, Jeff and I worked towards getting him qualified for the uh, CPU Nationals that was held in St. Catharines, Ontario. Uh, and then Jeff placed second in the 74-kilo Open class uh, to Coach Gannon. And I guess a few months after that, um, one of Jeff's friends in the company, walked into a gym in rural Minnesota, and he saw this guy benching 365 for reps, was a small guy, and uh, he went up to him, said, hey, my name's Travis, and what's your name, and, and the guy says, I'm Taylor Atwood, it's nice to meet you, um, and Travis says to him, have you ever thought about trying powerlifting, like you're really strong? And, <laughs> that's
0: uh, yeah. an easy scouting.
3: <laughs> and, yeah, and, and Taylor says, uh, no, what's powerlifting? Uh, But Travis gave uh, Taylor my number, and Taylor got in contact, and we trained together for the first uh, USA Powerlifting Nationals that we did together, which I guess was uh, five years ago now in in Denver, and Taylor won that. Um, And ever since then, our our group kind of transitioned away from bodybuilding and into powerlifting. Uh, The very next year, we met Ben. Ben owns a a supplement company called DeNovo Nutrition. So um, we met Ben at the Scranton Raw Nationals. Uh, It was an eventful day for Taylor. It was kind of Ben's first experience working with us, the trio. And uh, I can let him tell that story if he wants. Sure. Yeah. uh, I guess I'll start a little bit back just of
2: sort of reiterating that my entry into coaching was somewhat similar to Jason, although I was operating independent. Um, and uh, through DeNova Nutrition, we also had DeNova Consulting, which is where I worked with powerlifters and bodybuilders and stuff. And, and at that time, um, actually Denver Nationals was probably our biggest break into uh, being on the scene too because I, I had uh, I, I was working with Lane Norton at that time, Josh Hyaduk, Kristen Dunsmore. So a lot of the people who were winning uh, Nationals and now have gone on to become either – you know, world champions or, um, you know, continue to be competitive in the USAPL scene. Uh, and then just through knowing of the strength guys and, and coordinating and stuff, uh, and then Taylor being one of our athletes, we, we met in Scranton at, at that Nationals. And I, <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was incredibly interesting because I, I have a history of back injuries and Taylor was dealing with something during that meet. And um, it was a hell of an emotional roller coaster because uh, he was in the warm room. He, he, I think he tweaked it, Jason, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think he tweaked
3: it on squat or a bench. He didn't tweak it. Like there was a loud crack when he hit the hole on his third attempt squat. Like, uh, and then there was so much adrenaline that like five minutes later, he's walking around celebrating like I'm all the way back. And then he couldn't stand up, like he couldn't walk, uh, and he was on the floor, uh, in in this in this private area, and uh, this was like, I guess, an hour after you met us, Ben. <laughs> yeah, and then um,
2: so what was happening in the warm room? I think, outside uh, on the on the platform, nobody would ever uh, have guessed or understood. Um, we were actually thinking about having him come out – or at least discussing having him come out of the meet or not finish the meet because he couldn't even, like, bend over to deadlift. And we were actually in the back warming up for deadlifts, and he passed out at the top of, like, 135 or 225 and fell, like, right on his face.
0: Whoa, um, that's – yeah, that's uh, that's bad. Obviously, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it, extreme. But, I mean, if, if, you, if you get to know Taylor or anybody who does know him in person, um, I think that was – you know, you have those defining moments with elite athletes where uh, they come back in, in scenarios where you think, where they do almost the unthinkable. And he came back, you know, he did all three of his polls, won the, won the meet in convincing fashion, won nationals. Um, I was just standing there kind of mind blown because, like, I had just watched this guy literally fall on his face. Uh, warming up with the weight—that's what thirty percent of his one RM—and then he goes out and crushes
3: his third attempt. So he hit six hundred too. After yeah. blacking out like thirty minutes before.
0: What, so, what was the repercussions afterwards? Did You guys find out just how bad it was in his back.
3: Um, Taylor had some imaging done, but it was it was never conclusive on on what the issue was. Uh, ben Ben wasn't really—he uh, didn't come fully into the into the fourth for uh, two years until two years after that. But, uh, Taylor was pretty much out from squatting and deadlifting for, I want to say, uh, seven months because we only had 10 weeks to get ready for our first IPF Worlds, which is in Colleen, Texas, uh, where he was able to get back under the bar and start doing the main lifts again. So it was, it was pretty serious stuff. And, Uh, We even dealt with some residual injuries and then things that were holding him back for uh, I want to say like a year and a half after that as he kind of picked up steam again
0: Yeah, he was he was actually on um, a previous episode like we're going back over a year ago And he's actually talking about this time when he was leading into the world championships and for a while had 225 loaded on the bar like, like for any, anyone from Europe listening, we're talking like a, a little over 100 kilo. Yeah. Loaded on the bar and just doing rep rep work, and that was it. That's all he could do at most in terms of loading on his back. So he was working more and more reps until he's hit like sets of 20, and then he's like, fuck, I hope everything's going to end up okay. And I believe he did at that Worlds. Obviously, he didn't win that world, but he was – I think it, he took silver that did world, he so. Was it silver that Worlds? Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
0: And we're joking around. i like, well, there's the Taylor Atwood regime right there. 225 for such 20. That's how you become a similar <laughs> world championships. But, uh, yeah, he's dealt with some adversity. He said, like, yeah, before and after, and it's been a struggle. And talk about a meet. Um, if that was one of your first meets to see live, you saw some drama. You saw some bloods and gut there, guts there uh, in terms of um, a little bit of, like, uh, the athletes having to show some heart and seeing some excitement. Uh, but yeah, Taylor Atwood is an absolute beast when it comes to uh, an athlete. So you guys really started out, out the gate with um, with Taylor Atwood then on your roster?
3: Yeah, um, so Ben and I started working together after the World Championship in Belarus. Um, so oh. I guess Taylor won his, his third nationals in Atlanta, and we decided to take a full year to get him ready for... Um, for the World Championships in Belarus, and I think our training was going really well uh, up until five weeks out, where uh, Taylor sustained a grade two uh, strain of the TFL, and so I was talking to Ben, I'm like, man, you know, like, sometimes you get some shit bounces, because Taylor was really strong at the time, and we were just discussing out what an approach would be, because this is a pretty unique situation, and and Taylor and I knew uh, that Kjell Backland of Norway was going to show up, and there was videos of him deadlifting 700-plus pounds for reps online, and uh, we didn't really know what to expect. So um, Ben and I discussed what we were going to do for the remaining five weeks of Taylor's peak for Belarus, and uh, all circumstances considered, he showed up uh, pretty ready. He didn't show up really ready like he usually does, And uh, we ended up facing second. That was, uh, for me, it was a massive disappointment. I know for uh, Taylor, it was a massive disappointment. And it kind of forced us to uh, rethink our approach. And so I remember talking about this with Ben uh, when I was actually, I was interning at the Hill Academy just outside of uh, Toronto, uh, doing some strength and conditioning stuff with a bunch of hockey players and, uh, I called Ben up on one of the weekends and we were just talking about how everything went and, uh, then the conversation basically led to Ben saying, well, uh, do you want to do it together? And this idea of having a coaching team in powerlifting is very new. I don't know anyone else that does that. Uh, but right then and there, uh, Ben and I decided yes. And so we, we prepped Taylor for his, uh, nationals in Florida last year. Um, and then obviously the Arnold Classic and and the World Championship and and this year's Raw National since. So uh, Taylor was the first and since then we've kind of pooled our our clients that we were working with individually uh, into our co-coaching agreement and now I think um, we have one of the very best teams out there.
0: Yeah let's talk about
3: the the dynamics you guys
0: use. Is it so a, uh, who are some of the people you work with? I th- I'm pretty sure Eli Burks as well. Um, you got some heavy hitters in there. And b, is it coach for athlete, like a one to one, or do you like sit down and with a team hammer out ideas and all come together on consensuses, or is it just like every now and then? Let me ask you a question there, Ben. Let me ask you a question, Jason, because you kind of, like, converse like that, dealing with uh, issues if, if something pops up. How do you guys approach your coaching?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say we're 24-7 with it. Like, I'm communicating with the athletes uh, every day. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's 11 at night on a Saturday or 8 a.m. on a, on a Sunday morning. I'll uh, talk to them, answer any questions they need. Uh, we do everything in a group chat. And Ben and I also have a weekly conference call every Friday morning, uh, where I present to Ben um, the individual athlete communications throughout the week, uh, how their lips are looking. Uh, we monitor their their sleep, soreness, energy, hydration, all that kind of stuff. So if there's anything that's that's uh, that's going on that's a bit funky in their life, uh, Ben and I will have a conversation about it. And, uh, so basically I present the information to Ben and we come up with a strategy together on our call. So we write the programming out, uh, week by week. I think just to interject there real quick.
2: Um, I think one of the things I've noticed in, in my time doing it, uh, cause I actually came from a clinical background, uh, in both dietetics and to a lesser degree in strength training. And, um, in, it's been about over a decade where I've, worked in those populations and then in kind of powerlifters and, uh, more specialized sports specific populations. And I think the thing that I've found as one common thread, uh, through anything, and, and it's actually even beyond coaching. I think you see it in any industry where it's a successful business or corporation is you have to allow people to specialize in their skill. And I think one of the things that, uh, maybe coaching is lacking is, so many people see that it's it's an easy way to make a quick buck maybe, especially if they're a good athlete and they have a good following, but it's very difficult to specialize because if you're the one doing the onboarding, you're doing the client conversation and, and and handling emotionally of them, you're doing the, uh, the programming, you're doing the meet day handling as as one person to wear all those hats and to do it at a level that's anything above average is very difficult. Mm. And I think the thing that, that I saw, uh, as, as I was doing it more myself and then juggling that and doing the formulation for the for, for the supplement company and of De novo, I just realized like I can't be this good at all of these things. And if I'm gonna make my best impact on uh still taking on lifters and, and doing something I think I I'm I'm good at, uh I should probably partner with somebody where we can complement each other in skill set. And I think to me, uh on my outside aspect of coming into TSG late, um, I think that's the one thing that I've seen that really gives us strength is like strength in numbers and strength in distribution of skill set. Where we're not all trying to do everything, we're doing what we're best at, um, and we're able to we're able to keep sharpening that skill set. And I think that comes through with a lot of our uh, our at- athlete performances and then meet day just handling and stuff because it's not just one person back there who's running numbers, um, who's doing strategy of looking at everybody else and looking at how the lifter looks on that attempt. And, um, I just, I, I think I continue to notice us compared to anybody else. It, it continues to be a strength and something that separates us.
0: Yeah. I think, you know what I, I think it's refreshing when somebody is willing to say like, I, I, I'm more confident in somebody's abilities. If they'll tell you, you know what, that's not my specialty in this field. Let me kick it over to so-and-so and let me get back to you. As opposed to somebody try who always gives you an answer on all variety of topics in yeah. almost fronts as, they yeah. lo- as though they know yeah. anything. And you want to be like, listen, there's no fucking way you know everything. No, like, that's, nobody knows yeah. that that's an Don't like, pretend. It's not fooling anyone. You yeah. can tell when someone's trying to feed you, like, I should know this. Let me just give them yeah. something. No, like- no, no. B, I have more
1: confidence in you when I go to you and you say, let me get back to you. Yeah, no, as an athlete, like, how are you going to feel more confident if you just have one guy that's answering all your questions or if you've got an entire team that's backing you and, let me, and you shooting know. things off back and forth and you know where the some of the answers are coming from? You
0: know when a guy is just being like, I want to be the end-all, know-everything guy. Yeah, but that's
1: not, that's just not the way it goes. No, and it's, as athletes, like, you might know... what oh, yourself. You might know... Ways to make somebody strong, but you're not yeah. going to know the nutrition side of things, or you're not even know the rehabilitation side of things if there's injuries. Yeah, it takes a team. Yeah, and then on top of that, it's
0: easier to grow when um, you split and divide. So if everyone has their specialties, it's a lot easier to stay up on the latest and greatest. When you know one guy's covering nutrition, the other guy's, hey man, I've been reading up a lot about sleep cycles, and I saw this podcast, and I want to integrate. Another guy's reading up on strength training, whatever. Easier to divide and conquer because. It's such a broad thing to make some like in these day this day and age you can't be behind on on any of those any of these variables you can't take for granted you know so trying to stay up on everything's difficult and I I agree to have a team like that that pools and kind of all right let's cover our bases and then when we come together our athletes have a team behind them as opposed to one coach yeah yeah but uh, what I, I was interested also when you had said um do you when you say you monitor like food intake sleep cycles and these other variables that sometimes people don't think about now I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast he had a guy who was like a sleep specialist and he was talking about how much sleep can be either you know pro or con to your performance cognitively trying to remember things or even how you deal with stress cortisol levels to functionality they did tests like you know in terms of sprinting
1: jumps the whole nine explosiveness yeah. Everything it's it's crazy how I much remember, I remember. Listen, wasn't it like a thirty percent drop in performance they saw? For it's it's rattled, right it it, It's and there's some things that you can't. It just happens. Like for instance, if you have a lifter
0: who's very nervous before a competition, sometimes it really doesn't matter what you say. He's going to be tired, but like he's not going to sleep a lot. But during um, a prep, if you see if you see like do you, do you guys have them actually filling out? charts or saying or filling out just like numbers that they used um and then also for weights and then also how much sleep calories is this all being charted or is there more dialogue and then you say hey listen my friend it seems like every time i talk to you you've only slept four hours i think that might be a variable here like how, how do you guys monitor these kind of things
3: yeah um so this goes into the specialization of skill that ben was talking about um Two years ago, I I interned at Jay Glazer uh, from Fox NFL Sunday. I interned at his gym, Unbreakable Performance, uh, on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., and I interned under who I still feel is is the best strength and conditioning coach in the world, uh, Brett Bartholomew is his name, and so Brett was teaching me a lot of stuff with sports science, uh, what pro sports teams are doing, what EXOS is doing with uh, professional athletes in their off-seasons. Um, how the UFC fighters are monitored or special forces or stuff like this. And um, I thought there was something that was missing in powerlifting with all of this and that it could make a powerlifter better. Uh, And I think what that experience made me realize is that I had a really good uh, gift at creating things. So um, everything that we do for coaching our athletes is built uh, in our own model. We basically have our own Excel software. Uh, which specifically gathers all of the data from uh, Taylor or Eli's programming. programming. Uh, they don't have to enter in any weights or anything. We already have it when we write their plan. Uh, it allows us to plan in advance what we're doing and uh, what track their programming is on. And yeah, they, they also fill out an uh, athlete log. So this athlete log is built off of what the Canadian Sport Institute does to monitor our Olympic athletes. Uh, So we're looking at sleep, soreness, energy, uh, hydration, and stress. And what I look for is, uh, to give an example, we have four different classifications of training weeks that we would prescribe to someone. Uh, One is called an intro week, which would be very easy. A build week would be your uh, increase in workload or intensity or what have you, but it's not at its peak. Uh, And then an attack week would be like either – a peak level of volume or very high intensity, uh, something that has a lot of recovery demands. And if I know that Taylor is in an attack week or he just did a rep max test, there's an issue on Monday morning when he's going in to do day one, uh, we could be looking at an increase in injury risk for that session. So I may ping him a text or something and just let him know, uh, hey, spend some extra time on your mobilizations or if something's up, push this session to tomorrow like it's not that crucial that we get it in now if it means you'd get injured today um so this is the perspective which we monitor an athlete not so much in uh dealing too much with their sleep cycles or what have you uh it's more so we monitor them if we need to have a conversation uh so i guess that goes into sports psychology as well right then yeah, I
2: mean I have I have a load to, to say on so many different topics, so I'm actually gonna let, let Ryan interject if he has any follow-up questions that before sure. I kind of drop drop a, a bunch of stuff that might go a total different direction. Sure. Um I so I think to me what it comes down to um is, so this, Jason has developed these, these spreadsheets, which are great because I love data and I love basically, for me, if you throw me in the pool of data, I will just swim and try to dig myself uh, you know, up for air. Yeah. And, um, and again, I think maybe that will highlight why we complement each other so well. Um, so for me, I, I think something that I, I see globally in powerlifting is there's still so many people that do things subjective-based where uh, it's a lot of heavily RPE-based stuff or um, even attempts on meet day of like how did that feel and then there's that, that communication between the coach and the lifter. Honestly, I hate that shit because there's so much variability in that um, and, and how you feel is, is so subjective that you're, you're relying on a measure that is just not that reliable. Uh, so to me, it's almost like Attempting to minimize noise and find some type of linear trend line within that. And I think uh, we do that a lot in, in the training with the data we take uh, and we adapt week to week. I, I think one of the, the important things to know with the way that we program versus I think a lot of what I've seen out there versus almost everything else is there is no template for, for us. Um, there is no quote program. Uh, literally every time we we meet every week the program changes based upon all of those various variables we've talked about. And even to use Taylor for, as an example, like, um, in almost every prep, we've had something creep up where it's not ideal where he's had to work harder a week. He's vacationed. Uh, he's taken a week or two off because of that vacation or he, he's been had, had limited training. So there's no way that we can stick to some type of, uh, one thing where we get emotionally invested into it. Um, and, I think that uh, that's definitely more demanding up front, but I think it's hard to argue with the results that are produced by basically rolling with the athlete every week, as opposed to, no, you have to do this. This is what's on paper, do it or do it or die. Um, And I think the second aspect of it that comes into it as well with the communication part is, and, and this is probably something that's a lot less discussed in coaching Um, but how, how you develop, it's just like any relationship, um, how you develop and and instill a, a depth of trust. Uh, and I think that's something that continues to come up with, with our conversations with, um, anybody we're handling on meet day, uh, and really what we're working towards doing in the programming is, is allowing them to have complete trust in the intervention and in us. And I think there's this unspoken thing where there's no longer that nervousness of the lifter where they're worried that if they're going to make the weight or not, plus where they are on the board, plus, you know, if their training is actualized when they can give that up and just be the lifter and just lift the weights. I think there's an, it's almost like all of it comes together where everybody again is specializing and doing their best thing. And it comes out as this, like, uh, it's like everybody gets to actualize. Um, so uh, I kind—I of, know I kind of went roundabout to the points there, but those are, you know, all things that I wanted to mention with yeah. in what I think, you know, makes makes our approach unique as well.
0: So a couple of questions. So in terms of you mentioned like the lifter on day of a competition, so you wouldn't ask them how that felt,
2: uh, Jason? I, have we ever, have we ever actually changed uh, anything that we've watched it based on
3: how someone said that felt? I, I don't recall ever. I think no. We, we we pretty much we just we watch from two different sides. So Ben will watch from the left. I'll watch from the right. Uh, we meet. We say a number. Usually it's the same number, and then we end up writing that in. Uh, the athlete doesn't really have a say in the matter unless it's like something that's personal. Uh, an example of a lift that was more personal was uh, at Worlds when Taylor had uh, already secured the new world record with the with the second depth of, we said, what do you want? (laughs) And he said three times. So we wrote it down because there was, there was nothing else at stake. So exactly. And
2: in that specific scenario, um, that was the reason that we, we audibled for that because he couldn't, he couldn't lose at that point. Um, Because I think, you know, again, you, you have, you have someone whose job on meet day is to think they're invincible uh, and what comes along with that is extremely high emotions. And I think one of the things that you see constantly on meet day is elite lifters who think they're invincible missing lifts. And the, it, it's, almost, it's tragic to watch because you, you see somebody who has such a massive potential missing lifts and never actually actualizing. And that's so hard to watch uh, for me because it's like all you had to do was just maybe humble yourself a little bit and not go for the you know, attempt that was 2.5% too high and take what was there and actually won the competition. And that happens all the way from the local level up to the world level. And um, I think, honestly, and I, I know I, I can speak for Jason with this as well, is you know, getting to watch and be influenced from people like the Garys has, from early on in, in powerlifting Um, Really, since I started, they had a presence uh, when I was competing, and it's you you just get to clearly see the difference in an objective approach versus like uh, the approach of trying to always make everyone happy. I think that's almost just a way to guarantee failure. As much as it sucks to say that, it's just true.
0: The the only thing that seems so um, with watching lifters sometimes, and like at the worlds, I got to comment commentate on uh, like every single session for for the past few years sometimes you see somebody who the bar is moving quick and you're thinking oh shit this person's got x amount of kilos in the tank and sometimes you see someone who always moves slow and um you can't tell if that was an opener second attempt or third attempt or how much more they got in so it can be difficult sometimes you know like um who's Steffi cohen's hayden hayden bowen hayden bowen
1: my God, that guy grinds out all... Oh, like He and, grinds out, and then he yeah. has, like,
0: four more. Like, holy shit. And then on so the me,
1: flip side, I think of, like, Maria T. Her lifts always look almost identical, no matter what it is. Until, and then she until suddenly drops off. Then drops up. two and a half kilos, she suddenly drops off. So, so in those cases, I could see where, like, I would
0: be inclined to be like, let me ask you something. But just to see if was, everything's but guess, okay. But
1: I guess this comes down to not just you guys having confidence in your athletes by knowing... And tracking them throughout their prep in that but it's also the athletes having confidence in you guys to make those calls for them
2: it's a two-way street and and that's where individualization comes in where you have to know your lifter because it's your job as the coach to know that yeah to know that they move like that and they're going to be slow and where is their top end based on everything you've seen in the training block leading up to that if you're making game day decisions on the day of the meet you haven't done your job
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. But st- what if something changes on the day of With like weight cutting The thing with like uh, For instance we just talked about In the previous episode with Paul um, yeah. Some things change real quick I guess you could I guess you would know if Was it a rough weight cut How would you sleep How Were you right up to the wire Trying to cut that weight And then you would say Alright We might have to knock it back a little You would and, You would still need yeah. some dialogue To come to that conclusion though probably To see like How you feeling after that happened yeah. Because some of these weight cuts, I've had weight cuts that were,
1: I was flying and I'm like, I'm great. I've had other weight cuts where we're like, are like, is going to be a rough one. We're in for a long day. Or do you actually have guys have your athletes mostly not cutting weight? Do you have them kind yeah. of sitting right at their natural weight class, we'll call it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we prefer to have people uh, not, again, not enter any last minute variables that are going to make <laughs> our job and their job harder. Uh, we we want to help we want to help them help us and uh, vice versa and the best way to do that is again cut out like I said cut out any noise and, and I find uh, and this is this is something that has come from kind of bodybuilding is people people a lot of times will lose the show in the last week thinking they're gonna make up extra ground that they couldn't. Uh, <laughs> By dieting longer or doing the work beforehand, and I find that that still happens a lot in powerlifting, where a lot of people are trying to do the last minute efforts where um, I think I think the product of what happens on meet day is the culmination uh, of everything leading up, and I think again, to me, the way I see it is I, I try to systematize the, the person and, and the plan to Again, controlling variables best you can. So um, I don't think we have anybody who does last-minute weight cuts. And if they do, we already know from past experience where they are going to go and where, where the highest they're going to be in weight entering into the cut. So we have past data to determine off of. So, again, it's not this moving target that makes everything harder once they kind of try to you know, throw a, a wrench into everything.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I would also add to that that we're on the cutting edge of of research in the area of weight cutting uh, because one of our staff members, Kedrick Kwan, is doing his PhD on uh, weight cutting methods in the International Powerlifting Federation with uh, Dr. Eric Helms in New Zealand. Uh, So anything that's coming out or that he's finding in that area, he's passing on to us right away. What are you
0: guys finding? Like, What kind of a cuts do you guys generally is there is there an area like i know it could change for lifters some lifters they can cut like 10 to 15 pounds of water and like like how are you performing like you are and other people they cut like seven pounds and my god it it makes them underperform um do you guys how do you guys approach that with your guys athletes when it comes to this kind of thing jc
3: right there uh well Ben is a registered dietitian, so in that area, we'll, uh, we'll lean on Ben. Uh, but generally, what we'll do is we'll say, you know, Rob, Taylor, Eli, you can train X many pounds above competing weight. And by this point in time, uh, we need you at your competition weight. Uh, so it's like Ben said, reduce the noise. Uh, one prominent example of a weight cut that we think negatively affected performance was uh, Rob Ali leading it to U.S. Nationals, he was throwing around some incredible yeah. weights in the gym. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. His body weight was a little bit uh, higher than it should have been, and we've since talked about that and we will rectify it at the Arnold Classic. Um, and so our training model was set up in the final weeks to identify what Rob is ready to do on the platform. And so in spite of all the things that Rob was doing, a 650-pound squat, yeah, that's uh, crazy. he's deadlifted. I mean, he's deadlifted 700 pounds in the gym before. Like, we know what he could do. Um, We're very proud of how he performed at nationals because he went 8 of 9 in spite of having the weight cut really affect him. uh, He only missed one lift, which is the final deadlift, and that was on grit. And he set a 15-kilo total PR, uh, which, I mean, I know we were aiming for more and we thought he was ready for more, but to have an approach in place that was objective enough, to have that be our final outcome, uh, we felt that was a great success for us.
2: Yeah, I think I think the only thing I'd add there um, is I think a large thing that you're seeing when when you see the weight cut is the effect relative to body weight, because um, you can have you know a hundred thirty pound female cut two percent of body weight versus a hundred you know ninety or two hundred pound male uh, or lose the same amount of weight but obviously it's it's a lower percentage for the male so they will likely be affected less um, but it, it is difficult to, to determine because there's so many factors at play there of what is influencing that person's body weight re- related to fluid balance um, like for example if someone just chronically consumes a ton of sodium and they just cut back to a normal level they can drop body weight and not even have they, they can likely have a lower risk of even really having any type of, I'll say clinical dehydration symptoms versus someone who stays lower and then cuts harder. They're probably going to be affected much, much worse. So it's difficult to say any specific answer other than that general one is I think it's largely the relative to body weight effect that you're seeing across competitors and then just habitual things, um, that make them hit harder or worse. uh, That's very specific to the individual.
0: Yeah, it is, I I like that you said that because it is so tempting and tough when people follow like their favorite lifters and if they hear, oh, so-and-so was same weight class as me and cuts 10 pounds of water, I should be good for it. And they'll even talk to other people The person who cuts 10 pounds of water and they'll talk to you as though it's like a mental toughness thing and if you sell it like that (laughs) you know and that's the worst it's like i just think you're just there's not mentally tough enough or there's you know i could do it and if you can't you're probably you're not cut out for it or whatever it's like well maybe or maybe like like you just said there's other factors in terms of you run high with your sodium, you cut it off all, all of a sudden, your body's gonna adjust a whole lot different and let go of a lot of water. And like, there's, there's so many other variables than just toughen up, gut it out. If this guy can do it, you can do it as well. It isn't, there's it's so many variables and it becomes with social media, very tempting to follow people. And some people even regurgitate it on social media in that way. And everybody likes to think of yeah. themselves as a tough guy. But you could really sick yep. like, have a phenomenal peaking and then I think uh, you had said it earlier, have a phenomenal peaking and throw it all away in the last week. And be like, Damn yep, it. Absolutely. Everyone's, if you lift long enough, I mean the variables will happen no matter what. You can get sick and well, that shitty timing, it happens. Um, or you can, whatever can happen the last week and just things happen. But uh, there are some variables that are in your control. Uh, how do you guys deal with somebody in terms of the psychological aspect? Um, The last week, if you're monitoring, and I like how you guys talk to the athletes every week so you can kind of get a sense, this guy or girl is getting a little nervous, how's the sleep going? How's the the food intake going? And things are kind of differing in the last week. Do you guys ever enter into the psychological? And is there some times where you had to talk to somebody and be like, talk to me? Where where are you at? Where's your headspace at right now? In day of protocol? Some people like to get fired up. Some people like to get smacked in the back. Some people just leave them alone. Like, do you, do you guys enter into that level as well? or?
3: Yeah, so I, I think the uh, paramount thing here is that Ben and I are friends. Uh, to someone else who is on the outside of that, they could look at uh, Ben and I and tell that we care about each other. And I think that when you're on that team as well and you feel that Ben cares about you and Jason cares about you, uh, there's already advantages that come from kind of having uh more men more friends in your corner that are here to help you be your best um as far as sports psychology is concerned it's i mean like an example would be uh taylor before worlds a lot of people don't know that uh i mean starting 14 days out he could only train three more times until the competition because his boss had his wisdom tooth removed and taylor could seriously couldn't get to the gym so he did uh two of his scheduled four workouts uh in the week before the world championship and he was obviously stressed uh with that and the injury and uh to take his mind off of things we got a highly competitive game of uh mini golf going as soon as he got in and uh in calgary and it was just good times with uh uh, our staff from Malaysia and, and all around the world. Um, and I think that time with the group, you saw this shame. beat me, which is a shame because I'm a golfer and he's not. Uh, but after the game, he was just a different person. And it's like he was ready to go with competition. Um, so I'd say that Ben and I find unique solutions for whatever is needed. And... I think a part of coaching is not specializing in this or that, but having the resources in your network to do whatever is needed to get the most performance out of the athlete. And uh, I think by working as a duo, we can do that.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, especially other sports. I think you see, like um, I'm a big MMA fan, boxing fan. The coach, everything you're doing in terms of sports side and sports science side, but then the psychological side, it is a big factor. Um, yeah. And sometimes with our sport, because it is just, I mean, you're not going head to head in terms of whether it's basketball, football, and you're literally seeing the other guy eyeball to eyeball, and you could literally shut down his game. Um, it literally on the field of play while it's happening, too. Obviously, the other sports I just mentioned, boxing, MMA. So that is a whole different side of nerves. Whereas powerlifting, we all have our time on the platform. So, it's a little easier psychologically because there's nothing I could do to you to not let you have that time on the platform where it's the weight's all yours, gravity's all yours, nothing. I cannot make those weights heavier. And nonetheless,
1: some people can get psyched out. It, even though nothing else can change, like well, gravity's gravity, it still can be a mind th- fucked I think on the flip side of that, because you don't have anybody else to lean on, and it's all on you. Yeah, well, it's easier for the psychological side to take over, and for doubt to come into mind. It's for easier for. And it is. Um, if something doesn't move or doesn't feel quite like it's supposed to, like we're all very. you get right. rattled. Yeah, and, and that's where I think uh, other sports where you're used
0: to every practice, everything is uh, mano a mano type deal. Yeah. Um, the coach. Feels more hands-on. Pulls. It happens all the time in team sports. You pull rookies aside and get of where they're at and talk to them and get them going. And I think powerlifting, we're a little late. We're not as hands-on in terms of that. Because I know for myself, if I'm in the gym or whatever, if I just hit something or if I pace, get myself revved up, rev that engine, and get fired up and go underneath it, it's a whole other story sometimes. So there is a psychological aspect. And... When you enter into that arena of the psychological sports, it's different for everybody. That's where the science is out. And some people are like, yeah. screamer Manuel and, they're, they're, and other people, they try to scream Manuel, They're gassed out after yeah. squats. And that's the end of that. You know, so it's, uh, it's difficult. I'm sure you guys have seen all different types of personalities and had to deal with certain things. Have you ever had to give somebody a pep talk in terms of nerves or anything like that? or?
2: Oh, yeah. We've, we've, we've had that a couple that's... times. Uh especially leading into a lot of times close, close to the meat. And then you have just auxiliary stressors. And I think you mentioned before stress. And I think, uh, when you get caught up in a very specific avenue of something like powerlifting, you, 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 almost specify stress as only lifting related stuff. And you think that that's all that's affecting you. Like, Oh, I lifted too many days this week. That's why I feel weaker. But the reality is stress is something that, uh, is a signal that can be created from emotional factors, from environmental factors, uh, from things. A lot of times that you can't control like workplace stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it, it's somewhere where, yeah, it, it's, it's unavoidable to have psychology come into it. Um, and I think the one thing that cuts through all the bullshit is, is truth in communication and, and being honest with each other. And I think, uh, being able to have the conversations where yes, this was a mistake, This happened, you did this, we will adjust, but understand that this will affect things going forward rather than, you know, basically blowing smoke up someone's ass, allowing them to still think that they're going to have the phenomenal meat of their life when they screw something up. Then there's no accountability or responsibility for it either. So I think you're you're always given this choice that if you want to let this problem, you know, continue to fester or address it and basically handle it like adults and then determine how you're going to move forward in response to it. And um, again, I think those are all just maybe unspoken important things in coaching that uh, never get talked about because they're not as sexy as, you know, what did you program X person to do to where they hit a 900 pound squat? You know, like that's the the major question people want to ask, but it's not that one thing. It's like potentially hundreds of
3: things that led up to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to add to that, like lowering the lifters numbers so that they're not going for a 900 pound squat. Uh, I think that's more important than, um, what a coach will do to get them there. And a lot of times because, uh, being able to be realistic and put your athlete in, given their current circumstances on the day, on the week, whatever, uh, the best possible chance to succeed when they go out there, uh, that's a hat that Ben and I wear proudly and I, I go back to uh, what the Garys have taught us. Uh, they've been mentors of, of mine and to Ben as well. Um, I think that's something that they do better than anyone in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and when you guys are doing your programming, um, do you, when you're judging in terms of numbers and you're watching some of the videos and deciding for the following week where you want their numbers to be at. Um, Because you don't use RPE, you're actually giving them set numbers to hit. Um, What are some of the variables you're looking for? Is it bar speed? Is it uh, the mechanics of it? How do you guys judge that?
3: Velocity is definitely
2: a a factor. Um, And then, again, having the history with that lifter uh, of determining um, if we can't measure it in... uh, Then we'll we'll do it visually. I mean Jason has Darfish where he can actually measure it just through video analysis but we we now have the added benefit of having um, the squats and science units, particularly for Taylor, where we can measure velocity uh, and actually get objective measures. Um, So that's definitely part of it. Um, The other one is definitely some of the subjective feedback where this person said they felt like they were getting crushed, let's look at the numbers. And then we also have a performance one that is not related to velocity and it's directly related to performance in a high specificity AMRAP. So basically, uh, if we have somebody peaking uh, closer to the meat, usually within the last six weeks or so, we'll at least have them AMRAP once, somewhere around the 90% range. So we have a much clearer idea of how they're performing uh, at high specificity. Intensity versus oh, let's just have you amrap at eighty percent, and if you do twelve reps, then we know you're strong enough to go for your your projected you know attempt. So we know um, we've already had them hit before the meet. We've had them hit their first and second attempts in training at least two or three times. So that's for
3: like twice as many sets as you'll do at the meet. Exactly. So it's no question. It's just like shooting follow shots for a basketball player. Like, we're not going to have them go up there
2: and just, like, having never practiced free throws in practice and then just go out there and try to hit the game-winning free throw. You know what I mean? Like, um, so the only really thing that we've left to chance most times for most of our athletes is the third attempt. Yeah.
0: And um, I want to talk a little bit about this velocity journey because it kind of intrigues me. So, how, how does it work? So, Taylor actually has a device. He attaches to the bar and you monitor the speed, uh, looking at the weight and judging on the speed of the specific weight. So, then you have, over a course of time, an average on the, obviously, the speed that he's using certain weights. And then you could tell, whoa, the speed's slowing down. So, then you could tell he's starting to gas a little. Is that kind of how it works or...?
3: Yeah, so uh, the device in its actual terms is called a a linear position transducer. And uh, in the body of literature on velocity-based training, uh, what's been determined to be the best measure of uh, strength for a lifter is the average velocity during the concentric phase. So on the squat, this would be when you're coming out of the bottom position until the time that you're finished. Uh, Bench press, it would be the time Pressing the bar up from the chest until a rockout. And uh, we're measuring the velocity of that meters per second. One of the benefits that we have is I could take a video, for example, Taylor's 280 kilo squat at the Arnold Classic and I could put that into my uh, dartfish video analysis program and measure out his concentric velocity on that lift. Uh, Ben and I both agree that Taylor couldn't have done any more weight than he did there. Like, that was the absolute limit. And he moved it at 0.18 meters per second. So if 0.18 meters per second is the slowest Taylor can successfully move a weight on squat, we can then create a mathematical model based off of his warm-up sets and working sets, which predicts what his one-rep max is for that training session. Uh, So that's kind of how we're using it. Uh, there's a lot of other applications for velocity-based training, um, which maybe Ben wants to, to touch on as well. Um, I mean, I think we could probably honestly have
2: a podcast just on that. Uh, so the the only thing in, in addition I'd add is, is uh, maybe I realize that there's a potential for that sometimes to maybe go over the heads of some of, some of the listeners. And I, I think to clarify, I would just say that um, – this is all built on the model of force, of the equation of force being equivalent to mass times acceleration. So if you're moving the same weight at uh, a higher velocity, theoretically you should be getting stronger. Um, and the nice part of, about going back into some of the older literature that came from like uh, William Kramer uh, and, and people uh, at that time it was at Yukon. Uh, like the strength conditioning literature, is power is the first thing to go. So if you're monitoring someone, you're actually being able to use a device, uh, and you can track even their warm-ups, not their uh, top-end velocities, uh, you can actually start to see the effect of too much loading before it actually leads to this significant decrement in, in strength.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so you, you can tell even on the warm-ups, you're like, woof, this is... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hmm.
2: And then basically what you're modeling from there, you you could, there's so many directions that it can go, but one means that we're pretty much predominantly applying it is we can adapt someone's training for that day or that week just based on their warmups. Given, uh, assuming that they've moved those warmups as fast as they possibly could, um, we can, we can predict a theoretical 1RM off of those warm-ups rather than them having to ever go above you know, 80% in warm-ups. Uh, so, and basically what you're doing is you're just taking each as a data point and then you're forecasting off of a linear regression of where they should hit X weight at X velocity.
0: So this would, this would be, sorry to jump in, but this would be like a game changer if you're back in the warm-up room for a competition and yep. you have all of this up for trading, and then where he'd end up on the top end, on this top working sets. So when you're doing all the warm-ups in the back room, it's deads, and you're wondering how much gas in the tank he or she has. You're looking at the warmups, and you're judging the velocity, and you can kind of ballpark it. Now there's-
2: ver- 100%, yeah. Yeah, like there's,
0: there's obviously variables of um, excitement, where <laughs> if you're pulling for gold, all right, I wasn't that excited during warm-ups, but like, you do have, it helps anyways, it's, it's a factor in there that gives you a key. This plus or minus excitement levels and the crowd's on their feet, but it gives you something, which is, uh-huh. um, I mean, that's, it's, it's more than just gut feeling, right, in what yep. you guys are talking yep. about. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, do you think this is kind of more of the future for powerlifting,
2: um, data driven? Tough to say. In, in my opinion, I think there's, there's two things that are going to uh, completely change the landscape within, within probably the next five years. And, and I think one of them is the, the actual uh, legitimate implementation of AI into, into programming where it's done in a way that has done a, a great job of encompassing all, all the variables And it's going to take. I think it'll take some time to to actually uh, tease out all of those things. Uh, I think it will start with one model that's probably really good that will just keep getting better. Uh, I think that's one thing, and then I think it will be AI plus some other objective means. It will basically be making mini, miniature labs of each training facility for each lifter where yeah. they can have the AI training that will adapt based on all of these factors. And then in the gym, in training, they can also do these velocity-based things uh, that they can plug right into and it will integrate. And um, I don't think it will make coaching obsolete because there's still all those emotional variables and there's still all those technical variables. I think it will be difficult to have some system... Uh, quote watch a lifter move through space and be able to give them this perfect feedback. I think we're probably a while off of that, but for things like programming, I think that's going to be a huge game changer when it's actually done um, on on a robust level. That's that's really considered everything. That that's a key variable.
0: Have you guys heard um, Skynet? We had were you on that episode? No, uh, it was just myself then. So um, Garrett Blevins was working with, he was on the episode with Ben Rice and I forget who he's working with for this app Skynet and um, ah frig I'm gonna misquote the shit out of him but he has s- basically it's an AI with so many different variables like you had said in terms of once you plug in the, the numbers and it's taking numbers off you and all these different questions it's gonna ask. I don't know if it has velocity which is a huge deal. Yeah. but. Um, it just runs through all these different possibilities and variables that it has at its disposal. Um, and obviously, it has no emotion involved. You can't talk to me. T- it's just going to look at the data and tell you, this is th- based off of the, d- the numbers you gave me, here's the path you're going to take this week. And then, as per, like, like, like you guys were saying, warm-ups and everything, adding in data, it can reconfigure if you want to. Because it's all data-based, data-driven. And it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like the AI chess masters that have yep. so many programmed moves with no emotion. It's not, a, it's not emotionally attached to numbers for you. So if it says 496 and you want to go 501 because you want to be in the 500s, well, it doesn't give a shit. Or if you yep. told yourself two weeks ago, I would like to be here by the time I'm four weeks out. It doesn't give a shit. It's telling you. Based off your numbers, and I've ran so many scenarios, just like those Chess Master AIs, I've ran so many scenarios, I've seen this. I've seen this game, and I know all the different ways it plays out. This is your best path. Now, that's, you know, I'm summarizing. Uh, Garrett Blatt is going to be able to speak on this much better, but um, I think this is the first version of the AI. I'm sure in 10 years, like you were saying, the AI is going to get better and better and better, where it's just so dialed in. It can literally predict so many different outcomes. It's like the fucking Avengers when they're battling Thanos. I was about, I was <laughs> about to say, we're, we're, we're you got Doctor Strange. You got, you got Doctor Strange programming for you. I ran the all only, the different variables. Different, the
1: only way you win a world. This, the only
0: way you defeat Brett Gibbs, who is in fact Thanos, is by doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and then boom, you end up But I 100% agree with you. I think yeah. the future in terms of crunching numbers... The computer calculator, when it crunches the numbers and removes emotion from it, etc., will dial you in, and then the coaches will be able to see in terms of form, technique, and have those you know those conversations with. Whoa, like you know, dialing in from all the other variables we've spoken of, the stressors, etc., and bring it all together as a yeah. package using the numbers and like a good scientist would, using the numbers to help them as opposed to just only relying on the numbers, and that's the end of it, right? Because um, yeah, coaching in a lot of other sports is more than just numbers-based, you know, you can yeah. use money ball But you also need some good coaching. So I don't think coaching will go the way of the dodo bird either But no, it's gonna flip more to the psychological side of things Far cause... more and all the other variables and handling, yeah. you know, it'll be like uh, you have to watch because you don't have the bar speed Monitor on the actual bar. So you have to watch know your lifter have studied your lifter Not just the numbers, but how they look how they all the the weight cutting you have to be so hands-on as a coach and now if you don't have to do the numbers as much you can be yeah you can be that hands-on with a coach so when you see the bar and you're like my friend this is the way we go i know you threw in and out i know how your weight cut went i know all you know i've crunched it all up and i see the bar slowing down whatever and you make those calls and uh i think that you know that's where when, when people start kicking around How much more can we possibly move? Like, 1,000-pound squat dropped. How much further can we possibly go? And and you start honestly thinking, like, how much faster can a 100-meter guy sprint? It can only be fractionally. But when we have these conversations about we know how scary technology is and how it can run like a chess master, all the variables, when we start plugging in on that, and we're just scratching the surface with SkyNet, When we start plugging in on that, it almost gets a little exciting. It almost gets a little holy smokes in ten years, they could be looking back on us being like, What? You guys (laughs) were using what yeah, you guys were used as a caveman, right? Um, it's kind of exciting.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's the nature of of progression of anything, is you break down the barrier and it it just becomes what's the next limitation for us to break down. Um, and I think what what the product of that is, is then there becomes a new suite of skills that are valued. And I think you see that across anything, like you see it in politics, you see it in business, you see it in, in programming here, where uh, something happens, you could say the butterfly effect happens and it, cha- it causes a ripple and it, it maybe breaks down this, this previous barrier Where it takes care of something that was a limitation before, and in doing that, it then makes something else the most valued trait. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Instead of having to focus on, um, for instance, the programming crunching numbers, um, which if you get an AI that has far more capabilities than a human calculator can do, then all of a sudden, a coach enters into all these other rules that were probably overlooked, even, and other sports were able to hone in on. Now, all of a sudden, the coaching, okay, now, I'm, like, almost like when you guys are saying you guys are specialists and you could really hammer in on your specialty, that's what alleviates and allows the coaches to do to be like, okay, Definitely. time to start looking at all these other variables that previously we couldn't. I mean, I don't blame some coaches where, like, they're, they're not a team, they haven't amalgamated all these, like, you know this army with them to be able to super, you know, spread it out. So they're trying to cover wear too many hats. And yeah. um, when you're able to just hone in on something and just hammer it, and you become an expert at that, if you got a team like that, I mean, you start. If you start outsourcing to AIs to do some of these things, whoa! And then you have, and there'll always be room for people. You know, there's always going to be. It's just up in the game. I don't know how yep. quickly the AI is gonna I mean, from my I all I know is so here's we have right now we have RPE, which is basically a poor man's velocity. Where <laughs> we we don't I mean, I, I some people cannot afford the velocity on the bar and the whole nine and some of these and some people can or whatever, but you know, it, it's 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 in the right direction. It's kinda of saying, look at if as a coach I'm trying to find a number in my head that looks to me like and you're using that without having the, the any machines on the bar. But we're moving in that direction. But you see the steps taking place, becoming more and more we're using machines for velocity. We're using machines for actually pumping out the numbers. And it's gonna become like in five years' time. Good God, man. That's where I got so Skynet's the first one of AI. Do you guys know any other programs right now on the go? Or do you use a program that that's an AI?
3: I know, I'd I say the So this is completely not AI, I want to say that uh, up front. Um, But through my strength book, we have created a programming system. With uh, It's based off the decision tree. So uh, it would ask you the question of uh, how many times per week have you done this specific competition lift uh, in the past four months? And you would say, I've done it three times. Uh, And then it would ask you, well, did you make progress? Yes or no? And if you make progress, it will refer you to uh, this stream of programming and then it will say how many weeks out are you. And from anywhere to 24 to 8 weeks out, it will prescribe you uh, recommendations which were created by uh, our staff for how you should periodize your training for that duration of time. Uh, so that's the decision training model and we feel that it's incredibly advanced and effective. Uh, We actually have the Ohio State University powerlifting team running it, and uh, basically everyone destroyed their first competition of the year, so they'll be prepping uh, for collegiate nationals based off of that model, but um, I don't know of anyone else who's doing artificial intelligence right now, so uh, really it's Garrett, and then I'm sure we will see a lot of others uh, throw their uh, name into the fold as well.
2: Do you guys know Sorry, go ahead. I think also um, as incentivization of powerlifting be, you know, continues to get larger and larger, I think you will see larger uh, companies throw their hats into it. And to me, I think when what will be the true inflection point will be uh, when a, a company who actually has uh, – who maybe specializes in this or um, this is what they do – combines with a power lifter. Uh like the the best example I can think of is, is Alpha Go, which is the company that's funded by Elon Musk who who basically writes AI algorithms and and they made the algorithm that beat the like Grandmaster in Go, which is a game that's considered the most complex game with moves out there. And that was something they didn't think that was going to happen for another 10 years. I think if you get a company like that involved with somebody who really knows the ins and outs of programming, I think that will be when you really see everything change, yeah. uh, because then you have the experts in both fields.
0: Yeah, like it's, um, I agree, right now, yeah, powerlifting would be two small potatoes for he little muscle-looking, but here's a good thing. I remember reading an article in Sports Illustrated, and they they pulled all these athletes, um, what, are, what are the three most common exercises? And I should shoot out my friend. It came back squat, dead, bench press. And I remember making a post. This is going back a few years, but I remember making a post saying, "Well, let the best powerlifter win, right? Because it's kind of like they're all doing it." So in that respect, it'd be lovely to see somebody, a huge company, not just for powerlifting purposes, but for just in general, create an AI. And I'm sure they would have, if they have an, if it's an Elon Musk style uh, budgeted, they could say, "Or do you want strength training program? What kind of program are we looking at?" And it could shoot you off something you could use for powerlifting. And then, yeah. because it's not just, I think you're 100% right. The powerlifting market isn't big enough to bring in that kind of budget. It doesn't yeah. warrant it right now. However, sports in general.
1: The strength uh, training market if, is.
0: If, if athletes all over the world for most sports are benching, are deading, are squatting for sure, then um, I don't see why these type of programming, I and mean, it's big money. Sports is massive money. Olympics and professional sports, you gotta think, if somebody approached them and you have millions of dollars in terms of your salary cap, and someone approached them and said, how many guys do you have injured right now? How many guys do you think are performing at 100%? Let me sit down let me talk to you who I got. And we're talking like a Skynet style, only we wanna take it to another level, can we get a little investment money? Maybe not right now, someone's doing it, but I gotta think in the future, you know, we have like AI is the future. We have homes, cars that have AI. You walk into your house and you, whatever, the whole thing lights turning on, music, and it knows everything, sets the temperature. Like AI is is the future here, I believe.
2: Well, I, I think yeah. whether or not you want to admit it, um, it is impacting you just by logging in or googling something. Yeah. You are you are now adding to the data pool, and you are being impacted by AI. Yeah, and. You could deny it as long as you want, but if you've ever gone onto Amazon and or or any of those sites and, and bought a suggested purchase, you have you are a victim of AI. Yeah,
0: there's a reason why um, Paul keeps getting popped up with gay porn. Yeah, uh, you, you know, it <laughs> it's also it's also sexy singles in my area. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason why single Muslim women keep popping up in, in his in his ads. Yeah. there's a reason, right? There, they're no, but, it's, but but it's true though. Yeah, people who don't think they don't realize how high up AI is. AI, AI is advanced, man.
1: There are super technology
0: houses they have for the future and cars and everything.
1: I would like to point out. They're
0: tracking
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> it oh, isn't a coincidence. Oh, boy.
0: It isn't a coincidence. Yeah, if it was oh, 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 oh. I am not getting a job at Rogers anytime. Yeah. Like, holy yeah, shit. Just, There was my current thesis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I got him. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, I could go down that rabbit hole of AI talking. I don't know if you guys have seen slightly off topic, but fuck it. Let's go with it. They have a freaking robot that I've seen where you know how in the circus... Somebody jumping from, uh, it, it swings, it's like a massive like a swing.
3: But,
0: like a massive yeah. swing they're hanging on to. That trapeze. Swing, like a trapeze, swing from one to the other, do a flip, and land, okay? I saw a video of a robot doing it, and if you didn't tell me it was a robot, swinging, flipping, grabbing the next one, flipping, and the only thing that couldn't stick properly was the landing. It kind of did, but there's a pad there. Also, because millions of dollars are not gonna bank on it. but. If you saw that thing, you'd be like, "Holy sugar, that's not that's not a human. That was a yeah. robot doing it." In terms of how advanced we are, man, it's um, yeah, technology by far. I think it, when I start to think about the human capabilities in terms of our limits, I think once we give way to some of this and start being, all right, let's let's put it over into the hands of AI or AI, sorry, yeah, it's going to be boom goes dynamite. All of this, all these numbers and everything we're doing, are going to seem like caveman style.
1: Yeah. But,
0: yeah. And and Paul is in big fucking trouble.
1: Yeah. I mean, my (laughs) program was already caveman style.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? Forever, whenever you move in one direction, there's always a blowback. And there's always um, people who are saying, bring it back to the old school. All this stuff is bullshit. You know, you're going to get those old school guys who bring that up. And then some people move back, like the whole back to basics trend. There's always a backlash on everything that
3: pops up sure um, just- I, I think uh this is a conversation ben and i have had to touch on that comment you just made um, people who are old school or stuck in their ways with the recent expansion of powerlifting, i think they're going to absolutely get left in the dust of performance on the platform uh, or in coaching or, or whatever field you want to talk about um, because when there's growth and uh, when there are people as dedicated as top powerlifters are to being number one or setting the next PR, uh, innovative solutions are going to happen and they're going to happen fast and if you're stuck in the old ways of of programming or training or uh, selecting attempts by feel on meet day, I think as time goes on and it's already started to happen, uh, we will see even insanely talented lifters begin to lose uh, mm-hmm. to those who may have a better process behind them.
0: It's it's with everything in life, including life, you got to adapt or you fall yeah. off. There's a reason why Blockbuster's gone and Netflix huh. is here. Huh. Right? Yeah. And Blockbuster was sold that idea first and we were like, nah,
1: nah, I don't <laughs> see it. And now... We... They, they laughed at it when they first were they, sold it. They
0: laughed at it, yeah, exactly. And in Netflix, which was a dinky, rinky dink little... The, almost like a like a vending machine style was like, hey, I think this is the future. Boom goes the dynamite. You gotta you gotta stay on it. It's almost it's it's two things. I think people get lazy, a and they don't want to. They stop researching. They've done their research and they stopped and they stopped having these conversations like we're having now. Yep. And and b something's always worked. I, I I like let's use Brett Gibbs. Um, I like I'm I'm not saying he's not going to keep moving forward. I'm saying. If he's done with the first guy to do 10 times body weight for a total, do all these things, it's tough to change when you've been successful. And those, at times, I mean, you've you've probably dealt with these type of athletes yourselves, um, with so many variables, sometimes it can be tough to get someone to do something new if they've had great success with something that's already been working. If if you've had three shit meets in a row, and you're like, I'm down for whatever, that's easy. Let's sell it. Sell it to a guy like Brett Gibbs, who's just did what he's done, and be like, let's switch some shit up completely. Instead of Mike T, let's do an AI. Skynet is now going to do your next program. He would be like, oh, not yet. Uh, let someone else go first. Let, let, some, let me see 200 guys use Skynet, and let's see what the numbers crunch. And if their numbers all go up, we'll talk. But that's I think that's where... The toughest part is when integrating something new, the biggest holdback, and I don't honestly blame them because you don't know. Everyone knows when you take a step, like when Blu-ray dies, and they're like, well, that didn't work, right? I keep using fucking movies, and it shows you what I do in my past time. But but you see where I wouldn't blame a Brett Gibbs from being like, I don't know if I want to jump on the Skynet. I'm down with AI, but let me see 2.0.
1: Let me see, you know. Th- yeah, he's gonna get Mike T to try it out on a, you know, exactly. just, uh, like a certain amount of extra clients of his before he goes up to. It'd be tough, it'd be tough. Now you guys,
0: one of the things that I've seen, uh, just in your email here, um, handling a elite prospect and how it's different from the average competitor. And That's kind of what we're talking now, but. Yeah. Um, how is it different that you guys have seen, both handling literally on meet day and, and in terms of prepping, and also have you seen Um, Some people who, if they are elite, come over and you've got to almost sell them on it and sell them on the process, etc.
3: So I'd like to start that off by saying that um, it's been lost in programming and in the conversations of programming, uh, data analysis and progressive overload. I feel like we're, as an industry, we're talking so much about Uh, RPE, or velocity, or getting the right load on the bar, or uh, Krippin's chart, all these things, uh, that we kind of lost sight of taking a look at your weekly workloads and your relative intensities, and saying, uh, or answering the question, have I done more? Uh, A lot of times, a top-level lifter, uh, you're not seeing the increases in 1RM from competition to competition, or month to month, that you were when they were developing, uh, so, therefore, if you look at their training data, it's kind of flatlined. Like, they're not really actually, when you look behind the scenes at what their program was, there's no overload there. Uh, it's kind of stagnant, and you've got literally a plateau. Um, so, when we inherit an elite lifter, You have to have a system in place that goes beyond this is our program. You know, uh, we do, we fall within Quilleton's chart. We do 24 reps at this intensity and that's our workout. Uh, That's all BS and powerlifting, I think. Uh, Instead, what we do is we look at their data and we design a training system which evolves based off of their data performances and monitoring them. So... Uh, The example I like to give is I had a lifter uh, who will be coming on in our, in our co-coaching agreement uh, to prepare for the world bench press championships in Tokyo next year. And he set a 12 and a half kilo competition PR in 18 weeks uh, at USA bench press nationals to tie the guy who is favored on body weight and, and beat him And he was doing something like seven sets on day one, uh, eight sets on day two, and ten sets on day three, all at like 80, 85, and 90%. And this is not a, a program that you would see on the internet, it's not a conventional-looking approach to training. That was all based off of his volumes, his intensities, and my analysis of that situation. So. You have a lot of creativity that's backed by science. You can't be kept within a box of thinking that training needs to be this way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think uh, just to touch on the psychological aspect too that we kind of revolved around uh, prior to, to, to the question, um, I think it, it's, you, you have a little bit of an uphill aspect with someone who's elite because you have to convince them uh, how can you make them better than they're already than they're already making themselves if they're already great? And um, I think you have to like that challenge, <laughs> uh, because if not, you run the risk of either losing their trust or losing their um, their emotional investment in, in the programming or or what you're doing for them. Uh, but I do think when you can actually show them that it's like you you've led them to the light and. Uh, I think in in that specific scenario, it it is a very psychological uh, thing that is very important because I think more so than the novice lifter who's just sick of losing, the elite lifter usually isn't used to losing and it either takes a loss to make them look outward for help or they have to have the right personality who knows they're not great even if they're already elite. And um, I I think you always have that Prove yourself, period. That and 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 on the end of the coach, I think it's also important to not get overconfident or egotistical. That you constantly will have to prove yourself, and you should be invested in doing that uh, because it will make everybody better. So I I think I'm just kind of maybe adding the other side of the coin to Jason's answer.
0: Uh, You know what? To, To add on to your answer, I think I agree too. Where as a coach. It's when you think you know it all and you're gonna rest on your laurels because you have, you know, the wave or you've seen so many scenarios, etc. But like we just touched up on, technology, everything, nothing is slow nothing is holding still, let alone slowing down. And you gotta stay on the latest. Otherwise not only you as a coach be start becoming more and more obsolete, but your athletes start falling behind as well. Yep. If there's technology available, look into it. See what's readily available. what, what apps you can put on to judge bar speed or If there is like programming in terms of AI, I'm not saying jump on the first one that comes out, but um, for sure look into it. For sure, you know, ask around who's used it. You know, what kind of numbers are we seeing? Is this the version that we should start looking into? I mean, as a coach, you have to expand options. And um, kind of what you guys were referred to earlier, humble yourself in knowing. I don't know everything in terms of all the different aspects because nowadays we're at the point where there's so many different variables, so you start looking elsewhere to bring other people in um, yep. and, and not try to yep. be the guy who just knows everything. You should always be wary of a coach that fires you off a program but doesn't ask for any data back. That's when yeah. it's that's scariest where you hear about, all right, so you got fired off a program for X amount of months and they haven't once asked you any of any, your any training numbers back. What are they basing the next month's decision on? You're probably just getting templates fired at you, right? Like, it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah. unless you're having these conversations and these meetings, et cetera. I mean, you don't literally have to fill out, um, you know, fill out sheets and send it back. Maybe it's through conversation, whatever. I don't know the relationship, but, um, it's a long distance coaching where there, there isn't, you know, conversations going back and forth. There isn't that hands on. I think we're past that. Unless you want to buy the $20 Larry Wheels yeah. pump program. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta realize. The it's, mass produced. Yeah, yeah, you gotta realize what you're getting. Okay, it's only 20 bucks, uh, but on the flip side, you're not gonna turn to Larry Wheels. And, you know, he's he's an absolute goddamn beast.
1: But I already bought the program. But oh, I am running it now. I,
2: bro. Guys,
0: I think you guys are touching on something
2: that's really important for uh, maybe for. Novice or, or amateur, or maybe just beginner powerlifters who who might be listening to to realize is, I think it's important to to understand what you don't know and to be skeptical because I think maybe for all of us who have gotten in, you've almost had to wade through that river of bullshit to finally get to good answers. Yeah, and I think uh, there's so much stuff. That there's there's so much that a lot of very popular things can prey on because they realize that they have the look, they have the strength. I'm just going to give out this, you know, blanket recommendation. And I think, uh, I will always encourage the consumer base to educate themselves best they can. And, um, and, and always try to listen and follow the people who are explaining and not just passing it out as if like, Hey, I did this. It's going to be good for you
0: yeah because that's yeah exactly that's we we just talked about it earlier which is perfect timing. but uh there's so many variables in play from person to person in everyone's genetic makeup and yep. I mean, in certain yeah. certain situations if these people are in the untested and you're in the tested i mean there's so many more variables on top of that um yeah you you definitely want a coach that's actually more more interested in actually coaching than just Let me let me focus on myself, and I'll just sell you what worked for me. For sure, kind of is the situation. However, hey, if you're just a gym bro, because a guy like Larry Wheels has half a million people following him. If you're nothing more than a gym bro who knows nothing more than pumping guns um, when you hit the gym, you turn to Larry Wheels, and he's got you doing other things. It's probably. Better than nothing. Yeah, you could probably run the same twenty dollar program forever, though. It's gonna work
1: for a little while. That's but, valid. Yeah, that's it'll not. be
0: better than it'll be better than what your gym bro told you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. And fuck it, it's twenty dollars. That's that's like, <laughs> that's like a meatball sub with a couple extra toppings on it. You know, it's like an large pizza. So the investment's worth it, I guess. But if you're paying top dollar, if you're going to a coach and you're paying like the upper echelons of you know two hundred dollars US or whatever, the top guys are asking for. You sure shit better have some dialogue with your coach. You sure shit better not be getting just straight up templates will work for them with minor tweaks and everybody's getting the same stuff. Because like like you guys have already stated, it's 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 very individualized.
3: Yeah, I mean to touch on uh, I guess a, a theme of this conversation has been that uh, by Ben and I working together, we've been able to specialize in, in certain areas and we feel that, uh, in part, that has contributed to better performances from all of our clients. Uh, Back in in November, I I met with the director of video analysis for all of Canada's Olympic athletes. Uh, His name is Pro Sturgio. and uh, the topic of our meeting was to create video analysis guidelines for uh, for power lifters. So how could I best use uh, Dartfish Team Pro, which is the um, you know, in like downhill skiing, when they create like a ghost skier and they show uh, the replay of the, the skier who just went yep. compared to the best skier in the flight. Uh, I could do that in Darkfish. Um, so it's the same technology that we're talking about. How could we use this for powerlifting? And he sent me a 550 page book. <laughs> on video analysis that he wrote and i was like what like <laughs> just uh, video it, it's so extensive and this is just looking at videos like what to film with where to place the camera um all the variables which you can monitor on mobile apps on dartfish like it's 550 pages long and that's just video analysis so Jesus. when you think about How much there is beneath the surface in video analysis, in programming and data analysis, in athlete monitoring and psychology, it's immense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I think specialization and and being able to uh, dive into those areas is where we'll start to see uh, people separate themselves and get better and better than their competitors.
0: I gotta agree. Um, We're coming up on the 90 minute mark, fellas. Uh, But before we let you guys go, a couple things I want to touch up on. A, um, how can people get a hold of you, obviously, for coaching and and your coaching services? B, what can we look forward to by some of your athletes uh, coming up, a little sneak preview, and if there's anybody you guys would like to thank? Yeah, so uh, if
3: you want to get a hold of of Ben and I, Uh, what we do at the strength guys our website is www.thestrengthguys.com uh, you can also contact me at jason at strengthguys.com or ben at ben at thestrengthguys.com um as far as what we'll do next uh ben do you want to chime in with that uh i think i think continue to build out a lot of the stuff that we talked about uh in the call like
2: implementation and better refinement of the velocity-based stuff um continue to try to get the best out of uh out of our lifters and and get better ourselves. Uh, I think the the soonest thing coming up will be the Arnold, where we have Rob and and Sean, Rob Ali and Sean competing. Sean Moser and possibly uh, Ure uh, so we as well. Yeah, and Ure Rus, uh, uh, Slovenia. So uh, definitely trying to make a statement there and um, have them you know have the best showing that they possibly can. It's, it's difficult, I'm always a person who will hesitate to say numbers, because um, I wanna hold true to what I say, so uh, I, I can't make any statements on numbers, but we definitely wanna, like I said, make a statement with whatever they lift. Um, and I don't remember what the last question was, remind me um, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, before I repeat the last question, I like how you said that, because now I feel a little sheepish. If you were to like state out numbers, it will go against everything we just said about yeah. you go by velocity, you
1: go by week to week. So yeah, I guess you really can't. If you throw numbers like, hold on a second, man, you got to crunch the numbers first. Sure, after 90 minutes we were testing you guys, you passed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well done, fellas. A trick question. Um, the last one was, is there anybody you'd like to thank
0: um, before, before we let you guys go?
3: I'd like to thank Ben. Uh, it's been awesome working with you, Matt. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our staff uh, the Strength Guys is a, a team of thirteen individuals, so we are not a small group. Uh, the contributions of all of them is what uh, helps us to be who we are. And uh, also, thanks to everyone, uh, all of our clients, all of our athletes from around the world. Um, it's a it's a great source of pride to have a, a coaching company based out of Alberta that's working with people from thirty five countries around the world. I think that's so cool. Um, And then thanks to everyone who uh, has helped to make our community what it is.
2: I'd I'd echo those, and I'd say thanks to you guys for having us on and and for the great conversation. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for coming on, fellas. Um, Yeah, 90 minutes flew by. I think we got got to do it again. Obviously, uh, maybe coming around the Arnold's and the IPF Worlds, we'll have you guys on to talk about the athletes and what to expect.
1: Uh, but thank for you for sure? your
0: time, fellas. It's been uh, to say the least informative.
1: It's been very informative. Yeah, I'm right. taking away some stuff from this one for my yeah, own training.
0: For so. sure, for sure. Thanks for coming on once again, everybody. Um, yeah, you want some high-level coaching? Uh, visit these guys. Oh, we got oh, you back on the video. You no, the final on up. my face. That's right. Uh, so thanks for coming on, and um, until next time, fellas.
3: Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Thank you. Oprah. Have a good rest of the weekend, guys. You too. Yeah, you well. too.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. Ooh, yeah. You know, it is, the more and more we talk about the AI and the crunching of numbers, it's true that, um, I mean, you've got to relate it back to, like, chess. Well, in, terms of, in terms of crunching numbers, and the AI of the chess master just sees every single variable and says, this is your best path. This is, the, this is the best path to go forward. And that's what it would do in terms of, here's the weights, the reps, based off of everything we've seen before, and it could crunch it and give it to you.
1: Yeah, I think that's the future. Oh, I think it's definitely the future. And just like the other thing that I think is obviously going to become more and more of a factor in training, and we've heard it from now the strength guys, we've heard it from. The velocity From Danny, Danny Paulie is velocity. velocity training. It's true. And it's every true single time I, I got intrigued. And every single time I hear about it, it just makes me want to get a sensor more. It makes me want mm-hmm. to start trying it in my own training. And I want you to get a sensor because. Um, then you can use it? Yeah, that's right.
0: No, but honestly. I was going to
1: say, because then I'll stop overshooting my RP and stuff. Well, okay.
0: <laughs> that was <laughs> let's, that's let's, a little too soon. Let's, that's let's, a little too soon. Let's
1: just call it out there. Let's, I'll dial myself yeah. back a little
0: bit more. But it is, um, <laughs> you see how it's a logical nest step. RPE is, I believe, like in terms of auto regulation, like not all of us do have this technology, and and yeah, there is some coin involved, and uh, so one, it's it's in the right direction of, look at if this is if we're being objective, this is where a coach, so an athlete says it felt like this, a coach could be like it looked like that. And it does, you <laughs> can see how it's not AI or using actual velocity, but to the eye you can see that for sure slowed down, my friend. Yeah. I know you're saying it felt a certain way, but if I'm looking at this compared to every other single of your prep, that was slower. We should think about this out Yeah. the But you can see the logical next step would be take it out to the minute detail. I could tell you a zero point, whatever the velocity. I could tell you right down to that. So totally makes sense. its variables, even with that,
1: where well, when you're warming yeah, up, yeah, and when you can assign it to it, like I said, like a certain fault, like a certain velocity. So you can say you know like an RP eight normally moves at let's say a meter and a half per second or whatever it normally yeah. is, which seems like it's probably fairly fast. But to where like a second or third attempt is going to be you know a meter and a grindy as yeah. shit. RP eleven is going to be let's say you grind out at 0.75 or something like that. So when you can start assigning those values, can, can you imagine? You, can you imagine your AI asks? Like your AI that has all the
0: million different variables in terms of yeah. what paths it could take you on with rep ranges yeah. and, and everything. And, and then it asks you, tell me what your velocity was. And I'm talking on the fly. Your AI is in your phone. So your AI is like, what's the velocity? It tell, you tell it and yeah. it's like, this is what it is. And by warm-up to warm-up, rep to rep, set to set, it's changing. I'm not talking day of, your coach said. I'm talking from your second working set,
1: the AI said, here's your
0: next one. Now here's your next
1: one. Yeah, because your AI is monitoring your velocity for every single, thing. and let's face it, pretty much every single coach or every single person that's handling you day of. You ask them how something moves, they're gonna say it moved well. Yeah. And you're gonna right. be like, I don't, you're gonna be like, I don't know how it felt, but you're gonna be most of the time you're gonna be trying to build confidence of a lifter, and you're gonna say, sometimes it's moving well. I think you yeah. got this left in you. Yeah. There was times like when, yeah. with yourself when you had a bad
0: cut on the on the last on the provincials. Yeah. And you have to be like, you need some honest answers. Like, listen, there's sometimes you can motor through. There are other times like. Sometimes, you know, you won't say it's not moving well. You will say, yeah. I'm cramping up here. Those are the intangibles where, like... You don't it's say it's not moving be... well. You
1: ask, how are you feeling? Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, that's what I get. There are that's, other things uh...
0: where, when it comes to... If you're dehydrated, you can say, I'm cramping yeah. up. I'm... Look, I know it moved okay, but I felt this happen. Sometimes, you know, you need... Those are, those are other but situations. But some
1: athletes aren't going to do that. Whereas, if you're just saying it's moving at this speed, you can't lie through... You can't yeah. lie through a number.
0: Yeah, that's it. No, I think... I think it'll take a bit of everything. I think you'll always need a human element, obviously. Uh, But I think technology's getting there where even RPE to an extent, or you you issue, yeah, you know what? I think based on velocity, I think your AI would say your velocity with this weight for triples is this weight. So it'll just tell you the weight. And then if you put it in and the velocity is different, it'll just shift the weight. It'll just keep shifting the weights because it knows to. It doesn't have to use RPE. Because it just knows, based off velocity and the way it moves, here's your logical next step. Yeah. And it, it knows, like the chess master, an infinite amount of next steps. So you're not going to, you know, it's not going to stay either or what. That's what I think's coming, man. I'm very interested in Skynet. And you would think I'm fucking under the table a chauffeur.
1: Blevins, hit, hit me up because <laughs> I think I've sold
0: this shit. I don't want to
3: call
1: it. To, yeah, a, exactly. to be honest, given the, fact you're but master, given the fact you're a master's lifter, I assumed you'd be very against danger, other than the old school oh, formats.
0: Exactly. I'm also wearing a fucking, uh, 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 you know, thousand dollar coat right now and shirt and I'm all decked out in crocodile boots. It's getting really hard to keep these crocodiles down. Why'd you get a Rolex?
3: That's exactly
0: (laughs) it. And I take off in a Rolls Royce and like, I think this motherfucker gets sold out. But anyways, (laughs) um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, That was damn informative. And if they didn't, I enjoyed it. So sometimes you have lifters on and uh, Mm -hmm. they have phenomenal stories, inspirational stories like uh, Julius Maddox. Phenomenal. Loved it. He had
1: a 716 bench as is well. That,
0: you know what? I've seen that. I think, I think he might have even have more. No?
1: No. I did not see anything else posted, but yeah. 716 716 is an opener. Yeah, opener. Jesus that. swept. Right. So I'm
0: going to hit... I'm gonna, i got to hit that up. i got to repost all that tonight. But um, sometimes we have guests all like that, and my God, if you guys haven't heard the Julius Maddox episode, just an inspirational story that you got to hear is like watching the Rocky movie. And that's the other variable that you need sometimes. And speaking of Rocky movies, Creed Two comes out this month. And, and yeah, I'll be watching. <laughs> and other episodes, we have an episode like this where it's all information, but uh, again, you leave and it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, you just learn so much of it and it opens your mind.
1: Yeah, what, what's going to happen in the future? And once again, it also opened my mind to not cutting fifteen pounds.
0: Yeah, and we also touched up on the ever important uh, the single Muslim women and the gay sex you're all into. But that's also important as well to discuss.
3: I
1: mean, yeah. It's, uh, but, but, uh, that's, but a, yeah. that's secondary to the training methods, though. Listen,
0: I'm telling you, 10 years when the future, when our fucking, when the next generations are using all this, they're going to look back at us and our training methods and laugh. Yeah. Like, you guys are paying what for what? It's a joke. But we do need to know a must event to come in here because their AIs are going to kill everybody's. And, and no. it won't be for powerlifting. It'll be an AI for other athletes. That's fine. You know Elon Musk, and yes he would do that. He does all types of weird shit. He sent a fucking car to space just because he could. Just for the fucking. Are you telling me someone can't tell him, hey for Olympic athletes, make a crazy AI and let's see what we make humans be able to do just for fun? For sure he'd be on. Hey bud, don't send a fucking car to space. Make the Canadian powerlifting team kick ass.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he also made like a household safe flamethrower or something like that. Like the, guy's, exactly. the guy does his own thing. Let's face it. You
0: need a billionaire like that who's like, let's let's see what we can do with the people. Yeah. I'm interested. But anyways, once again, six-pack lapidat.
1: Paul Marantz and underscore. Lifts. You did? Know, yeah. We both
0: fumbled the ball there. I was like, okay, is he going to say it?
1: I get to thinking. Yeah. It's all those variables,
0: bro. It's all those variables. Um, by all means, like, like, like usual, please um, give us high likes. Post it in your stories. Tell your friends. We're going to keep this thing moving. The more downloads we get, the more guests we got on, the more we keep the gravy train rolling. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, peace.